Welcome everybody to another episode of Stoli Doli Scaries. My name is Here's Johnny. No, I'm just kidding. John <laughs> That was good. I wasn't expecting that. That was really good. Uh, oh. my name's just Corinne. Uh, welcome to our first episode of 2024. Yay! Mm-hmm. And we will be kicking it off with if it wasn't evident by Giovanni's intro, The Shining. He came as the caretaker, but this hotel had its own guardians who'd been there a long time. I love how there's also a scene in the movie where he does that, where Jack does that. What scene? Uh, I think Wendy says something to him and he's like, Ooh. And I was like, Corinne! <laughs> he is like, he's such, I know we're supposed to hate him. He is not a very likable character right from the start, but he's so funny. And maybe this is just me like in red flags. <laughs> it's effective. So maybe we'll be on the same page this time. I do hope so. I never want to be back to where we were that one fateful day. So <laughs> good to hear it. Good to hear it. Uh, our drink today is going to be, of course, the Red Rum. Red Rum. Red Rum. Uh, <laughs> you can find the full recipe on our Instagram page as well as a video. And we will be taking a sip anytime Tony talks. So, a lot. Red Rum. <laughs> Is there anything uh, before I begin that you want to say? No, let's just get the clay on the table. All right. I've never heard that before. (laughs) Let's. Let's. Let's do it. Okay. The Shining was released in theaters May 23rd, 1980. It was directed by Stanley Kubrick, starring Jack Nicholson, Shelley Duvall, Danny Lloyd, and Scatman Crothers. It starts out with a camera shot over a lake with some extremely foreboding music in the background. The camera pans up into the mountains and we get a great aerial shot of a Volkswagen bug driving along the coast. Then we get perhaps the worst movie titles in cinematic history. (laughs) I hate these movie titles. It's like aerial and it's like this very unnatural blue uh, and and it's just like a typical like it's just scrolling up the screen and for stanley kubrick somebody who's so um detail oriented it's feel it's just like a, such a throwaway it makes no sense it's yeah. just me i somehow think it would have been better if it was just typewriter typing it out oh because that, that would have been, been that you know, would have been, been really too good. on the nose maybe for stanley I did read that he was like very involved in that decision. And he went through a lot of like, he went through through, like 300 fonts before choosing that one. It was not a throwaway decision, but it feels like a decision. It feels like they didn't think about it at all. So I don't, uh, it doesn't go with the beautiful scenery. This, this, oh my God. This isn't it. 
that I agree because I wrote down the same thing. I thought that everything else was done so well. I mean, we're going to find out this this director, this man uh is very precise and I mean, these shots are gorgeous. It really it really puts you into the setting. Yeah. We get a nice big title card. They love their title cards in this movie. And it says, The Interview. We immediately see Jack Torrance, played by a very young, very handsome Jack Nicholson. He's being interviewed by the hotel manager, Mr. Ullman, for a caretaker position of the hotel. Basically, they have to shut down for winter. Uh, it's too expensive to keep the hotel open because the roads are so snowed in so instead they have somebody stay at the hotel during the winter months to keep the boiler going to heat certain parts of the hotel so that is the position he's interviewing for we cut to his wife wendy at their home with his son danny uh wendy's played by shelly duvall their son is danny lloyd and they're just talking at the breakfast table danny kind of alludes that he doesn't really want to go to this hotel. He's asking his mom, like, do you really want to go and stay at that hotel all winter? And she's like, sure I do. And she says, I bet Tony wants to go. (laughs) I hate this. He lifts up his finger and goes, no, I don't, Mrs. Torrance. And she talks to the finger like it's a human, like, oh, come on, Tony. Come on. Why not? I don't want to go, Mr. Torrance. He's a very polite finger. It's very polite that he calls her Mrs. Torrance, but it's weird. And it if you've never read the book, and even if you've read the book, because Tony is so different in the book, it's its weird and it's very out of context. And I remember seeing it for the first time and being like, what the fuck? And sorry, do you want to? <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to say, since we were talking about the book, um, the book was written by Stephen King, right? We see that anytime you want. <laughs> of course, from here on till forever. Good, good. I do um, enjoy that. The book is, it's, uh, let's talk about it. The book is written by Stephen King. The movie is an adaptation of that, right? Like mm-hmm. Stephen Very King vaguely. wrote a script for Kubrick to play out and Kubrick essentially just threw it away. It was, yeah. The script that Stephen King wrote was very faithful to the book. It was like almost an exact adaptation. And Kubrick was like, nah, I don't know. But I really love Kubrick's adaptation and it is totally different. But I, um, I know Stephen King hated it. And he's been very, very vocal about that. He will tell anybody that asks. He's he's not hiding his feelings on that one. He hates pretty much everything about it. Thinks it's very cold is always his response. And it was. It is. Snowy, <laughs> snowy mountain. <laughs> it is cold. Anyway, so we're back in <clears throat> Mr. Ullman's office. They're chatting more about the job. The manager warns him, though, that... People often have a very hard time with the job because of the isolation factor. They're worried about you getting cabin fever, being so secluded. And Jack assures him, you know what, that's exactly what I want because I'm working on a writing project and this will be great for me. My wife and kid will love it. Then Mr. Allman goes on to tell him, just uh, FYI, that one of the previous caretakers, 
had a mental breakdown and he killed his two daughters with an axe and he killed his wife and then he shot himself. Oh, by the I way. I don't think Jack is spooked enough. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think Jack is spooked enough. I think this should give you pause. And he's kind of just like, wow, that's quite a story. And I get it. Maybe he really wants the job. He Maybe he really needs the job. We don't know as much of his backstory. In the book, they dive very deep into his backstory. And he is, you know, an alcoholic. He lost his job as a teacher. He really needs this in the book. We don't get that as much in the movie. We know that he's a former teacher. And he says that, like, he used to be a teacher. And now he's a writer. You know, we don't really get the full essence of what's happened and what's put him in this position. And so maybe he just really does need the job and he's got to be like, oh, that's weird, but oh well, because he says that's weird and then uh, says like, well, my wife is a confirmed ghost story and horror film addict. I don't get the sense that uh, Wendy is, though. She doesn't (laughs) see. You know, after first glance in that scene with her talking to Tony, I can imagine she seems a little uh, peculiar. Either way, Jack is very lackadaisical. He's unbothered. Uh, yes, maybe he is. And he's not showing it. All It's all a red flag to me. I think he should have some follow-up questions, but he tells him, hey, that's no problem for me. And everything seems good. We cut back to the Torrance household and we see Danny talking to his finger in the mirror. Drink alert. And he's asking Tony why he doesn't want to go to the overlook he's like i know you don't want to go tell me why oh yeah i want to tell you why and can you imagine i just want to put the because we find out that tony really is a separate entity tony isn't an imaginary friend like that is an actual separate th- and can you imagine your fingers to you can you imagine having a real conversation with your finger we're gonna get in trouble with this finger on this episode this little <laughs> tricky guy here jesus Christ. he's uh he's talking to his finger in the mirror and he's like why won't you tell me like tell me why you don't want to go to this hotel you know something and all of a sudden the finger <laughs> shows him an image of these two elevator doors and a bunch of blood sloshing around and danny gets this like wide-eyed like ah! look on his face In the meantime, as this is happening in the bathroom, Jack calls Wendy. Hi, babe. Hi, hon. How's it going? Great. Sounds like you got the job. Right. It's a beautiful place. You and Danny are going to love it. This is maybe the only moment where I feel like they have like kind of a loving relationship. And I, Mm -hmm. I only want to point that out because it's pretty much the only affectionate scene we get because... From the scene of him driving them to the hotel, to them being at the hotel, he is very cold and he seems he goes mad quite quickly. Yeah. So they're in, they live in Boulder, Colorado, right? Mm-hmm. And they've yeah. been there for three months. Uh, not only a, a short period of time and not an, enough well, time for Danny to make any friends. He's having a hard time. Yeah. And that they came from Vermont, where Jack was a school teacher. And I'm thinking, like, this man was a school teacher? (sighs) Again, in the book, he's a flawed character and he's an alcoholic. But 
he's trying and he obviously has a lot of affection for his family and compassion for mm-hmm. them. And he, he doesn't want to be this monster who drinks and he doesn't want to be out of control. And so he's, he's very likable and relatable in the book and the fucking movie. He is just like a uh, kook with those eyebrows from the start. You don't trust him from the get go. And that is not at all. The book, the book is a totally different experience in the movie. You're like, yeah, I don't, this isn't going to be good. Like, you know, really soon that things are not going to work out for them. I don't know. I just think all of them do such a phenomenal job acting that I honestly can't pinpoint whether or not I hate him or like him. It's just wavering in between. And I think the reasons why I like him is because the acting is so good, you know, because I can like see his actual self within this character. And so, um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. But that's how I've always felt about Jack Nicholson. Oh, I love Jack Nicholson. But uh, <laughs> but Jack Nicholson is so charming. And especially in um, the documentary that Vivian Kubrick did, just the behind the scenes stuff, he's so likable in those mm-hmm. scenes. And like, he's just such a likable person. And I do think it's funny that he plays this role. I, I know Stephen King did not want him to play this role. And he was very upset. He really wanted John Voight. He felt like Jack Nicholson had been typecast in this role of like, you know, kind of kooky and unstable. He had done One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest not too long before this. And he yeah. he just felt like he wouldn't do the role justice because he wanted somebody that would slowly descent into madness. And Jack mm. Nicholson is just kind of like madness from the get-go. Anyway. So Danny. Danny and his finger. Yeah. Yep. In the, in the, so he gets this vision and the next thing we know, he's in bed. They call a doctor who comes to their house. She's checking on him and she's asking him, you know, all the run of the mill questions. And we find out that he passed out after Tony showed him the blood. They talk kind of briefly about Tony and he says, I don't want to talk about Tony anymore. And she's like, okay. And her, the doctor, and Wendy go into the living room to kind of chat about her diagnosis of him. And she tells him, Danny's totally fine. You know, it's nothing to worry about. She does ask her when he first started talking to Tony. And Wendy says it happened when they had to take him out of school for an injury. And the doctor kind of inquires, like, oh, like, what happened? And she kind of sheepishly goes into the story about how Jack had been drinking. And he came home late one night, and he was already very aggravated. And Danny had kind of spread his school papers all over the floor. And he went to grab him to get him away from the school papers. And he pulled him so hard that he dislocated his shoulder. And... The whole time, this is such a like uncomfortable scene for me because it's very clear that Shelley Duvall is not defending him, but she's trying to talk the situation down to make it seem not as big because it's very uncomfortable thing to tell a fucking anybody, but let alone a stranger, but a doctor that your husband was drunk and he (laughs) dislocated your son's shoulder. And it's very hard to navigate telling a story like that without painting him in an evil light. And so she's like smoking her cigarette with so anxiety inducing the ash on that cigarette is so, it's so 
why I wish I had a cigarette. Uh, yeah. And um, as she's telling it, and she's like, you know, it's just the kind of thing you do with a kid all the time. And, and you know, it was no big deal. And he was so, he was so apologetic about it. And he said, you know what, Wendy, I'm not going to have a drink. And, and he hasn't had a drink since. And that was five months ago. And, and after Wendy has told this story and she's been like trying to diminish how serious it is. And we cut back to the doctor and the doctor's like, the fuck? <laughs> the doctor looks so jarred. You know, I kind of would be too. The story, I mean, like we get a lot of Wendy's character. Um, sure. It does feel a lot like an abuse victim. You know, she she's already wrapped everything up in a bow to say like, and you know, he's not drinking anymore and like making excuses, but also like her character, Wendy feels like a little mouse in some yes. aspects. Yeah, she's very you know? meek and she... In the whole movie, she is just very fragile. Anyway, so we get another title card, Closing Day. And we see Jack, Wendy, and Danny driving to the hotel and the little Volkswagen bug. And I mentioned earlier, we, we get a little bit of Jack's like kookiness in this scene where you feel like, okay, uh-oh. He's talking to Danny and they're talking about a group of people that got stuck outside for a long oh. period of time. In order to survive, they had to resort to cannibalism. They had to, yes. you know, eat each other. And Jack says this like very candidly to Danny, who is five. I think he's five. And Wendy's like, Jack. And Danny's like, well, it's okay, mom. I had to learn about, you know, I know what that is. I saw it on the TV. And Jack's like, see, you saw it on the TV. And we get that like major eyebrow thing that Jack Nicholson does so well. But this is just like a brief interlude of what we can expect from him from the rest of the movie. It's only going to get much worse from here. But he he does not seem like a loving father in this movie. Like he's kind of scowling the whole drive. And he's like, oh, you should have eaten before we left if you're hungry. And he, he's just not yeah. a very doting dad in this scene. This family to me is so interesting because not only is the little kid the little kid uh weird as fuck talking to his finger, not only is uh Miss Shelley Duvall um <laughs> you know like she has an iconic voice to begin with and this like you know mousy like yeah and it's she's fucking weird as fuck and he his everything about Jack is fucking weird. Yeah. So every scene has this like unwavering feeling that shit is going to hit the fan like at any moment. Yeah. Because even a, a super stable family going to a hotel for five, six months by themselves should be concerned. But uh, but a family like this, a family that's so unstable, like you said, like mm -hmm. he is an alcoholic who's only mm -hmm. five months sober to our knowledge. Who knows if he's not sneaking little boozies in the back this whole time. Danny's talking to his finger and Shelly Duvall you said, is weak, little fragile, like mouse. I, they're not stable and they're going to do this thing that only really a stable family could survive. And even they would be in trouble. So they good. No, mm -hmm. no. They're choosing to isolate. Mm -hmm. They're choosing to do the 2020. In 1980. 2020? <laughs> I think 2020. not. <laughs> I mean, I fucking got cabin fever in 2020. 
holy shit, I was ready to off someone. Yeah. Yeah, there there's some brave souls. They must either really need this money or they must really need this money because they are not in a good position to take this on. Um, so they get to the hotel. The manager is showing Jack and Wendy around. Meanwhile, Danny is playing darts, playing darts by himself in the game room. This is a, like a six-year-old. This is nutso. They just let their kid run wild all over this hotel. And we get some menacing music and he turns around slowly and we see two twins in like matching dresses just staring at him. They say nothing and walk away. But it's spooky. We cut back to the tour um, that Wendy and Jack are going on with Mr. Ullman and we find out a few things about the hotel. One built on an Indian burial ground and um, (laughs) I don't think there is something more somebody could tell you so that that ain't good they're fucked Uh, they should run (laughs) we all know how you feel about that mm -mm, they walk back into the hotel they take them to the gold room which is like the beautiful giant ballroom which side note I was pretty upset I thought, I don't know why I thought this, but I thought all of these sets were actually within the hotel that it was shot. I thought they were at the Timberland Hotel. And that's one of the reasons I always wanted to go and visit it. And nah, this was all a soundstage. This was all built, and which totally makes sense because they could not have feasibly shot it the way that they shot it if this was actually within a structure. They It could have never been. But I was so upset about that. I really thought the gold room was at that hotel and I was going to visit it someday. And I thought yeah. the maze was that none of that's there. That's it's a lie. It's just the it's, hotel. Yeah. yeah. It's all a lie. Can never be viewed. They did. Stanley Kubrick is just such a detail oriented person. They, they took a lot of the rooms within the hotel from other hotels. Like he had somebody go yeah. out and scout and find hotels with like very interesting rooms that they like directly copied. And so yeah. the gold room is directly copied. The lobby is directly copied from another hotel. But I always thought it was within that <laughs> hotel. And I don't know what that was so stupid. I don't know why I thought that. But regardless, they take them into the banquet hall, the big, beautiful ballroom, and they tell them that, you know, all the alcohol is taken off the premises for insurance reasons. So they, they ain't going to have no booze this whole winter, which would be miserable. Uh, as they're talking in the ballroom, Mr. Halloran, Dick Halloran, who is the head chef, comes over and introduces himself. At this point, one of the – I think the secretary to Mr. Ullman is like, hey, I found – I found Danny walking around the maze outside. He was looking for y'all. What? How could you just let this kid like roam around this giant hotel? That's fucking terrible. Anyway, she brings Danny back to the parents and Mr. Halloran shows Wendy and Danny to the kitchen while Mr. Allman shows Jack the boilers. Maybe important to mention that they uh, first get a idea of the snow cat. Uh, outside Mm. yeah yeah mr allman briefly mentions like if they need to leave for any reason there's a snowmobile and it works very similar to a car and you know easy to operate so they have a getaway it's it's an important piece because when i saw that i was like 
Well, because if I were to go up to isolation, I'd be like, okay, so what are how many exits are there? Right. Are there is a way out? Right. Uh, who do I need to call? Who do I need to phone? Yeah. Uh, like it's important that they can get if they needed to. That that little sure. snowmobile could get them because it's twenty five miles before they'll get to a town. So, Mister Halloran, love this man. I Scatman Crothers, great, great actor. He he's so sweet. He's showing them the freezer, and he's now we got you got ten legs of lamb, and we got fifty <laughs> roast, and blah blah blah. And it's so much detail that they didn't need to go into, but he's telling them everything about everything in this kitchen and where they can find it. And as yeah, he's showing enough. Wendy these things, he's also calling Danny Doc. And Wendy makes a point of be like, "How did you know? Like you called him that? How did you know that we we called him that?" He said, oh, I must have heard you call him that. She's like, maybe, but I don't think so. I don't remember calling him that. And he like kind of talks it off like, oh, he looks like a doc, blah, blah, blah. And we, but it's kind of weird. So then later on when he is in the freezer showing them more of the food, he looks over at Danny and he talks to him with his mind and says, you like ice cream, doc? Do you like chocolate ice cream? And Danny kind of looks at him like, what the fuck? So they leave the freezer and Mr. Ullman pulls up with Jack and he asks if he can steal Wendy because he wants to show her a couple things. Mm-hmm. And Mr. Halloran's like, oh, that's fine. Like, m- can I give Danny some ice cream? Can we hang out? And they're like, oh, sure. Again, I think it's a little weird that they're just leaving their son with stranger. <laughs> but I'm the 70s. I have free so whatever they leave their son with an absolute stranger who's gonna feed him and dick and danny are having their ice cream and they're chatting and mr allen is just he's so good at talking to a child he's like very um he's just really warm and it's comfortable yeah like he's he's very unassuming and very kind to to danny and he tells him how he knew that his name was Doc. And he says, you know, when he was little, him and his grandma could hold conversations without ever opening their mouths. And she called it The Shining. And he's kind of trying to talk to Danny about it, get some information out of him. And Danny says that he's not supposed to talk about it. And Dick's like, well, who told you that? And surprise, surprise, fucking Tony told him, Mm-mm, we're not telling anybody about this. And Danny point blank asks him about room 237. And Mr. Halloran has kind of a visceral reaction, like a like, hmm. And he asks him, you know, what happened there and if he's afraid of the room. And Mr. Halloran gets a little weird, tells him nothing happened there, but he ain't got no business going in there. So stay out. Stay out. I hate this scene. <laughs> why he does that like okay well and if you tell a child that that will only make the child want to go in of course if you tell somebody no they're only going to be more curious about it and he's already it's already on his radar i think it's interesting that that danny picks up on reading dick honestly and says like you're scared aren't you yeah something like that yeah interesting a fun fact, too, about Scatman Crothers, who plays 
Mr. Halloran was uh, Jack Nicholson actually suggested him for the film. They were friends, but Crothers had a very tough time on this movie set because Stanley Kubrick is known for doing a lot of takes, a, like a world record breaking amount of takes. And so I don't know if Crothers hadn't done a lot of movies or he just hadn't done a lot of movies where, where a director needed that many takes. So he had a very hard time. But his next film after The Shining was Bronco Billy, which was directed by Clint Eastwood, who is famous for really generally only wanting one take, like one take and that's it. And so when Crothers did the movie with him on his first scene, it was one take and it was done. And he broke down in tears of gratitude because he couldn't believe that. <laughs> That it was only gonna be one take, and I, and I, I have, I, I have such sympathy for this man. I watched quite a few interviews with the actors, and there is, a, there was an interview with him where they asked him about his experience, and he started breaking down and he cried, and he said, "It's just been so beautiful. These people are so wonderful. It's one of the most beautiful experiences of my life." He's just like a very emotional, sweet man. And so I hate, yeah. I, I know that Kubrick needed all the takes, whatever, but it breaks my heart that that he had most likely such a hard time on this set. But regardless, he's very yeah. appreciative of the experience. And I mean, not just his experience, but uh, Mr. Kubrick puts every actor in this film through the same amount of shit yeah. and like, some to get them agitated. I mean, when we talked about Blair Witch and we were like, how could they leave those kids out there and not give them, you know, like no yeah. food and all this stuff. And he was feeding Jack Nicholson only cheese sandwiches to get him agitated to a point where he can uh, play this very authentically and poor fucking Shelly. Oh my God. She was destroyed. Her hair was falling out during the shooting of this because he isolated her and he purposely made her feel like duty during the entire filming of this film because he wanted to get such a weak, diminished, like like fragile performance out of her. And like you said, same thing with Jack Nicholson. And a part of that, I understand he's method and he, he wants these actors to actually be feeling these feelings so that it comes mm -hmm. across authentic on camera. But also, like, dog, they're actors. And, like, they could just portray <laughs> emotions and it's a little fucked up in my eyes that he thinks those measures were needed you didn't need yeah. to you know isolate and scream and make Shelley Duvall feel like a piece of shit in order to get that performance out of her but to her credit she she doesn't say a bad word against him like in all of the follow-up interviews I've watched during the filming of course like she's talks about her distress and how you know, it, how difficult it was. But afterwards, I watched an interview where they asked her what it was like to do 127 takes of a single scene. And she said that she learned so much from the experience with Stanley Kubrick. And she said, you would think doing that many takes of a scene that it would be empty at the end. Like there would be nothing left. But she said you would get to a point where you do so many takes of a scene where you knew it so well that it, it was like second nature and it became something totally different it became like this magical thing that it was meant to be and Kubrick knew that he knew he could get that out of them and he could which and I think it's lovely that she has that vantage point and that she's come across mm -hmm. on the other side and she appreciates the experience and and 
there are some incredible scenes in this movie and he it was effective but at what cost man <laughs> she lost her hair my emotions would be at the top of their they're afraid most- they're, i mean you're you and again it's so effective but a part of me like my heart breaks when i watch some of those scenes because she's not acting <laughs> she's really like cried her last tear and she is like her, her emotions are everywhere and she's mm-hmm. they're they're actors and they can portray those feelings without you actually having to make them feel them that's why you hired them and i i i really do appreciate kubrick and his attention to detail and this magnificent movie that he's made and technically i think it's one of the most perfect films ever made it's just at what cost, dog? At yeah. what cost? So they're having their little conversation. Then we get a title card a month later. We get a great shot of Wendy going through the hotel with Jack's breakfast on a little cart. She heads into their bedroom to deliver it. And he wakes up and he says, oh, what time is it? She says, 1130. It's 11 fucking 30. It's 1130. How is he still sleeping? And and she's been taking care of their child and and bringing him his little breakfast in bed. I don't know. Fuck him. She, hey, you know, he's he's a writer. He'd be staying up late. He'd be sleeping in. It's you know, some may call me a writer too. You don't have a little wife taking care of your child in a giant hotel while you sleep. I don't have in anyone taking care of my child. That's fucked. I don't like it. I don't like it. Uh, he is pretty warm in the scene. I'll say that. This is one of the few other warm scenes we get from him. They're talking. She says, after you finish your breakfast, why don't you take me for a walk? And he says, well, I suppose I better get some writing done first. Honestly, it, this is just further setting up Wendy as a, a, a super deviation from the book. She's very meek in the scene. If it was me, I'd be like, no, the fuck you won't. We're living in this hotel by ourselves and you're going to take me around the maze. But she's just like, how's it going? You got any ideas? She just keeps talking about him more and more and being like very kind and and, and feeding his ego. And, um, you know, I don't think I've ever had breakfast in bed. I think it's gross. Who the fuck wants eggs <laughs> in their bed? <laughs> I haven't either. But I've never felt like I was missing out. Um, That's what I said, too. I was like, I mean, the thought sounds like, nice. Yeah. Like in theory, like someone caring for you. But then like. Putting it in the bed, I was like, "No, I'm gonna spill this shit everywhere. This and orange eggs. juice is gonna be That's on my pillowcase." That's it's fart smells in your bed. I, it's gross. I, I don't feel at <laughs> all like I've missed anything, but it's very kind. She she's just a very um, what's what I'm looking for? She's just a caretaker. She's really considered bringing him his, on the little buggy. This is just for him. She's not eating any breakfast. She has just done all of this to bring him his breakfast. Anyway, so they continue to talk, and he tells her how much he's just talking about how much he loves it at the Overlook and how he's never mm-hmm. been happier or more comfortable anywhere. And that when he arrived, he felt that way. And he kind of had this weird sense of deja vu. Like he knew what was going to be around every corner before he turned. And he just had like an immediate connection with the hotel. Ooh. Is that when he does it? That's when he does it. <laughs> I totally didn't pick up on that. So anyway, they have this conversation and Jack goes back to the room where he's supposed to be writing, but he's just fucking throwing a tennis ball around. Piece of shit. 
Wendy takes Danny into the giant hedge maze. <laughs> Fun fact, there's actually no hedge maze in the book. It's giant animal topiaries that come alive in the book and they chase Danny. And I actually do think it was a very good move on Kubrick's part to not do it in the film because I think it would have been it would have made it like campy. I don't think there was a way to have effectively make that scary certainly then, but even now, I think even CGI, like it just, it wouldn't have been as effective in the book. It's really scary and good, but in the movie, I think they really, it was a very good move to do this maze and it's very, and it comes into play majorly at the end. But anyway, Wendy and Danny are rolling through this maze. They're chasing each other. They are having a good time. They cut back to Jack who has stumbled across the diagram of the maze. This is one of my favorite shots, especially for 1980. I, it's very impressive. As he's looking down at the maze, they, they zoom in on it and we see like tiny figurines of Wendy and Danny running around. They zoom in on it and it becomes like reality, but it's just very well done. Um, Super trippy. Well, we twippy. So we get another title card, Tuesday. We get another shot of old Danny on his big wheel, cutting around corners like there's no tomorrow. He comes across room 237, which is the room he talked to Mr. Halloran about. He gets off his big wheel. He goes to try to open the door, and it's locked. He hops back on his big wheel, and he heads out, but it's important to note that it's locked and that he tried it. Next scene is pretty pivotal. Uh, Jack is in the great room and he's typing away on his typewriter, busy writing his big ideas. Wendy comes in. She's so sweet. She's like, hi, hon. How's it going? And he's like, you know, it's fine. You know, he's very short with her. She she makes a comment like, well, you know, maybe later I can make a couple sandwiches and, and you can let me read something. And he's like, Wendy. Let me explain something to you. When I'm in here working and I'm busy and you come in and interrupt me, it distracts me. And it's like a noticeable giant fucking shift. This is not like a little annoyance. Like he's a prick with a capital P-R-I-C-K to her. He is not nice. And you could see in her face like how, how like jarred she is by his shift. But she she doesn't really press him on it. And, and she's just like, oh, okay. And he says, great. You can start right now by getting the fuck out. And I, I <laughs> it's so Eve on this scene. And you know that she just like went to her room and cried. And, and this is one of the scenes where I have a really hard time with Wendy because this is a scene where I don't understand why she wouldn't push back. Like later on when, when things get dangerous, I kind of get her reactions. But in this scene, this is going to be like, yo, I'm bringing you sandwiches. I'm taking care of your kid while you sit up here and write your stupid bullshit that no one's ever going to want to read. And you have the nerve, you know, like now is the time to be like, whoa, what's the, what's up? And she's already being very um, like weak willed in this moment. Mm -hmm. I'm like, Wendy. And it's very upsetting. I know this is another big sticking point for Stephen King. He hated the way Shelley Duvall portrayed this role, which, again, wasn't her. She was doing exactly what Stanley Kubrick wanted. He wanted this very weak, fragile character. He did not want the character in the book who is 
totally, I mean, just a totally different human being. She's a blonde, former like cheerleader who's never really had to deal with any troubles in her life. She's very independent. She's much stronger. And I'm, I don't know why Stanley Kubrick decided to do that. I don't, I don't, I can't imagine the movie any other way. I can't imagine her be like, I don't know what it would have looked like if she would have been stronger in these moments. And I don't know if I would have liked it more, but that is such a huge shift from the book. Like huge. That is a different character. And mm-hmm. Stephen King was quoted as saying like, it's one of the most misogynistic characters in all of cinema. And she's basically just there to scream and, and be scared. And she's nothing. And she's not at all the strong character that he wrote. And, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> I don't necessarily agree with that, but I think he was just real butthurt that Kubrick decided to do what he did with the character. I think she's much more than that, and I think she plays the role to perfection of what Kubrick wanted. I think, um, obviously, she has the biggest arc in this entire movie. Uh, So we'll talk about that later. Mm, But I think like this whole rant that he does, and then at the end to say, now do you think he can handle that? Just like a, a another dig to be like, you fucking dumb bitch. Like, yeah. you get it? Yeah. I was just like, I was like, where did that happen? And also like, wow. Yeah. Just the, the acting itself. I was just like, both of them. Jack. Yeah. Anyway. That was a tangent. Title card. Title card. Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> they have gotten a huge snowstorm. Winnie and Danny are playing outside, having just a grand old time. Cut to Jack, who's watching them from inside, and he is like catatonic. It's like a, a meme waiting to happen. Like he, like there's drool coming out of his belly. He's he's not okay. This is, I think, our first indication. Even though he snapped at Wendy, like that could have been written off. Like this is the moment we're supposed to realize, like that dude ain't ain't doing okay. And it's like something psychological is going down here. It's not just him being in a bad mood. Yeah. That's like one of those wave your hand in front of the face. (laughs) Very much Jack. Yeah. Jack. He's not there. Nobody's home. Another title card. Saturday. Wendy discovers phone lines are down. She calls over to the radio. They tell her to keep the radio on. The phone lines will probably be down for months, which is a lot of fun. Uh, We get another shot of Danny on his big wheel. He's cutting corners. We get a giant drum noise, and boop, at the end of the hallway is the Grady twins. Hello, Danny. Come and play with us. And it keeps cutting from them standing there to his face, which is, like, shook, and then all of a sudden it cuts back to them, and they are dead in the hallway. Like, it's, it's showing their dead bodies, which have been axed. And just keeps cutting back from that to to Danny's, like, shocked face. I think this was the first moment where I was like, oh, these are the girls the guy in the beginning was talking about whose father killed them. Right. It's because a bit before of a that, I was hole, like, though, because in the beginning he says he killed his daughters that were eight and ten. And these are twins. Yeah. And the the yeah. actors that played it, it's twins. So I was like, I don't, I don't like these moments where, like, Kubrick is Mr. Detail. Why wouldn't why why wouldn't you just cut that in the beginning? Why wouldn't you just say he killed his twins? He killed like why they're they're twin they're in matching fucking outfits. I mean yeah. they are twins. Didn't catch that in the hundred and fiftieth take, did you? <laughs> like really? 
mm-hmm. whatever. This is a this is a very very iconic scene. This is something that is very synonymous with the movie. Ironically, not included in the book at all, which does speak to Kubrick's brilliance because he read the novel and he he saw that this was an opportunity and it is a major mm-hmm. opportunity, huge scary moment. Anyway, so he sees them. He kind of closes his eyes and he opens them back up and, and they disappear. I do think it's worth noting that um, they do say, come and play with us forever, dot, 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 and ever. And ever. And I think they do say, come and play with us, like several times. Come and play with Mm. us. Come and play with us. Title card, Monday. Wendy and Danny are watching TV in the giant great room. And Danny tells Wendy he wants to play with his fire truck. He asks if he can go get it from the room. She says, no, Jack is sleeping. He just went to bed. I mean, this has got to be like 8 (laughs) a.m. He just went to bed, which again, red flags everywhere. But regardless, she's like, no, I don't want you to, you know, I don't want you to wake him up. Uh -uh." And he's like, no, I promise I can be quiet. I can do it quiet. He convinces her. So he goes up. It is really sad. He goes up into the room and he's it's so evident how quiet he's trying to be. Like he opens up the door and he like barely closes it and he he like scuttles in and he looks over and he sees Jack who is sitting on the bed, like just staring at the wall so creepily. And Jack slowly looks over at him and Danny asks if he can go get his fire truck. And Jack says, well, Come come over here for a second first. He very creepily pulls him onto his lap. He asks Danny if he's having a good time. Danny says, yeah, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then he says, Dad, do you feel bad? Which is another, like, <laughs> heartbreaking moment to me because I do wonder if that's his way of asking, like, if he's been drinking. Like, I wonder if in the past that's been his way of asking if he's drunk. Like, Dad, do you feel bad? Because Danny can tell if something is not fucking okay with Jack at this point. Danny's demeanor feels very much like his mother, you know, somewhat timid. Mm. And I think the difference here is that the way in which maybe he might operate with Wendy is to go off the rails. And I feel like his demeanor is much different with his child Um, because they both talk very similarly. So it feels like had Wendy been asking him the same questions in the same way that he would go to anger, but with his son, it feels different. Mm. Yeah, I agree. I think he's got a little bit more of a like, soft spot for Danny but I do think like it's so clear that their relationship is very different than the relationship Danny has with Wendy it's clear Danny feels comfortable with Wendy they have like their own little world like playing in the snow together playing in the maze together and and there's a distance between him and his dad and it's clear that he feels uncomfortable going over to sit on his lap and I don't know if that's just because he always feels that way or if he can tell that something's really off with Jack so he asks him if he feels bad and Jack says, no, like, you know, I don't feel bad. And Danny asks if he likes the hotel. And he says, yeah, I love it. I wish we could stay here forever and ever and ever. And it's creepy. Like the girlies we just like heard the, from. Like the old Grady girls. Title card, Wednesday. 
we see Danny playing in the hallway with his fire trucks when a tennis ball comes rolling over seemingly from nowhere. Nobody is around. He I love this carpet. I love the carpet. I love I love the, the carpet, carpet here, but I love the carpet so much in the room in room 237. It is like yeah. like mermaid vibes. It is like very art deco. It's ugh. I mean all of, all of the scenes are really colorful and very cool. <laughs> so Danny is playing with his fire trucks on the beautiful carpet. Tennis ball rolls over out of nowhere. He looks up. There's nobody around. There's nowhere it really could have come from. He kind of goes to investigate and he realizes that room 237 is right fucking there. And all of a sudden, the door is open when the door was locked. So that is something to note. Also a fun fact, in the book, the room is 217, and the Timberland Lodge, which is where this movie was shot, requested that they change the room number to a room number that doesn't exist because they were so worried that guests wouldn't want to stay in the room number because they'd be worried that it was haunted, which tomfoolery I would specifically request that room <laughs> number because I would I want to Come on. I think that's a huge reason a lot of people go to visit that hotel. I'm sure a lot of people go to 217 or request 217. Perhaps. Perhaps the, the real fans of if the novel who know. Anyway, so he notices that the door is open. And he he goes, you, we don't see what happens, but he kind of opens the door and he goes in. So we know he does enter, but we don't know what happens to him specifically. We cut to Wendy, who's checking the boilers, which is fucked, because that is fucking Jack's job. That's the one goddamn job that Jack had. And again, <clears throat> it's fine. As she's doing that, she hears Jack, like, crying out. No, no! I've never seen anybody have a nightmare like this. This is very extreme. She comes running up into the room and wakes him up, and, and he's fucking freaked out. He falls on the ground. He's, like, scared shitless, and he's like, I, you know, I had this terrible, I had this terrible nightmare. I had this terrible nightmare. I killed you and Danny. And he um gives too many details because he clearly, even though Wendy is kind and is like, you know, it's okay. It was just a dream. You can tell she's a little jarred, like, ooh. That's very specific. Less is more, Jack. We don't need we don't need mm. all the deets. I heard on another pod. Is this the moment you would be like, okay, it's time to go? I don't think this would be the moment be I would be no. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Wendy. <laughs> I mean in in her situation with the things that she's dealt with, I don't know if, if, if Jack having a bad dream would be the the time where I'm like, all right, it's time to I think the awesome Even though with the details of that and no, well, he didn't. He didn't tell her about the uh, old caretaker. Well, we don't know. He said he was going to. He said she was a confirmed ghost story and horror film. Blah blah. Maybe he did. He tell didn't give her. her a damn heads up with that. No, she would have been like, uh, "I remember what happened to that fucker before, and it's time to get out." Mm. So maybe that's the reason. Perhaps. Perhaps. Um. To his credit, he does look he, pretty fucking freaked out. He's not like, oh, that was weird. He he looks like pretty upset about it. 
which and I, sure. I wonder how vivid the dream was. I think that would fucking upset anybody. But we just saw him explode at her about coming into the room when he was typing. And so we're really unsure of his mental state at this point. And so I feel encouraged the fact that he was so disturbed by his dream. Maybe little, maybe Jack is in there. And he's like, uh-oh. I think this is the point that Jack should be like, okay, maybe we should get the fuck out of Dodge because he is so jarred. You know? He can't do that. It's his whole Not job. Later soon. Yeah. So anyway, as he's freaking out and she's trying to calm him down on the ground, we slowly see Danny enter the room. We're like behind him. The camera's panning behind him as he enters the room. And we can see that his sweater, very cool Apollo sweater, is torn. And he's got some bruises on his neck. Some shit went down. Wendy sees him from afar and is like, Danny, Danny, it's go back to your room, Danny, Nick. Because she's trying to calm down Jack. And he's not listening to her. He just keeps walking into the room. And she's like, Danny, why don't you mind me, Danny? Danny, mind me. Why aren't you listening? And as she gets closer, she can see something has gone down. And she's like, what, 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 what's happening? You know, who did this to you? What happened? And... Danny is not responding to her at all. And, you know, in her mind, they're the only ones in the hotel. Jack has already heard him once. He's not saying anything. They keep cutting to him. And he's like, like, he's like sitting there like fully catatonic, just like before. And he's not refuting it or or coming up to check on him. Like, he's just sitting at his fucking desk, just watching all this go down. And she's upset. Wendy, she picks him up and said, you did this to him, didn't you? You son of a bitch. And she carries him off. I do think maybe, I mean, Wendy is in the right, I guess, because she's like, you know, by deduction, I didn't do this, so it has to be you. Was it a quick judgment, maybe? Was she going right to, Mm. You know, you've heard him before, you do it again sort of thing and like denounce the fact. I think that's part of his right. uh, reaction too because he's like, oh, you're just going to think that I fucking did it right off the, you know, like. He, I, but I, he doesn't have like a normal human reaction of like, did I do, like, I, I, he has no, he a weird angry. reaction. I, it is gets, not a normal reaction. I do agree that she's a little quick to jump there, but in her mind, she's really thinking that nobody could possibly be in this hotel and it wasn't fucking her. Who else could it be? So she takes him out of the room. Unbothered Jack just starts walking around the hotel. He wanders into the gold room, which is that beautiful ballroom we saw at the beginning, and he moseys up to the bar, which all of a sudden is filled with liquor and a bartender. Um, I don't know why he isn't concerned about this. And I think this is, this is the scene where I was like, okay, he's not okay. Because if you were okay and you walked into this room and you saw a bartender and liquor, you would have questions. And he just is like, oh, hey, Lloyd, um, you know, fix me up a bourbon. He, he doesn't question anything. I'm like, uh-oh. So... Lloyd asks how things are going, and Jack tells him that he's having a little problem with the old sperm bank upstairs, which, fuck you. I know that there is a bigger insult in history. Um, mm, mm -mm. He then goes on. 
less is more, Jack. With the nightmare, it's too much. And with this, this is a stranger. This is a full-on stranger that you are telling all of your, your life stories to. And he says, first, he's got a problem with the sperm bank. And then he starts talking about the issues with Danny. She, she never lets me forget it. I, uh, I never laid a hand on him. Okay, I did that one time. But, you know, it was an accident. And he, he strewed my papers around. And I love the little son of a bitch. We don't believe you, Jack. Like, not at all. And he just keeps going on and on. And how bitch never lets him live it down. And poor Lloyd. He didn't ask for that. He's just a ghost. He's just a bartender ghost. And as he is talking to Lloyd, Wendy comes running into the room, just absolutely hysterical. And she tells Jack that there's someone in the hotel with them. There's a woman in room 237. And that's who hurt Danny. And Jack doesn't believe her a second. He's like, are you fucking crazy? You fucking nuts? And she's like, no, I am fucking And he's like, all right, I'll go check it out. We cut to Dick Halloran, the chef from the beginning of the movie. And he is staring at his TV in his apartment in, is it Florida? I think he's in Florida. His, uh, his decorations uh, do leave a lot to be desired here. I do have a lot of questions about why <laughs> decided to go this route he's staring at his tv and it slowly pans out and we see a naked woman right behind the tv and then we pan out on his face that's staring at the tv and we see another naked woman picture behind him he's like some frat boy i don't know why they decided to it's beautiful he likes what he likes i don't like that he likes looking at i don't like it so much nipples he likes looking at nipples and full bush while he's watching TV. I I hate this so much you know? that I looked into why they decided to do this. I needed reasons. And one sure. of the big reasons was that they wanted to make it known that just because he has the shining, he's not like a holy man. They wanted, they didn't want, and I don't know, I would have never made that connection. We didn't need to see naked. No you know, bushes. I didn't need to see that for me to know that he's not a holy man. I would have never made that connection, but whatever. He has some interesting choices on his walls. And as he's watching the TV, suddenly he gets like a shining message from Danny and Danny is calling out for help. And he sees room 237 has been opened and, and we see Danny like not fucking doing well and so he kind of has like this like stare off into space and like you can see he's having this connection with danny we cut back to the overlook and we see jack going to check on room 237 and again the decor is just like just fucking stunning in this room it's beautiful the carpet is fab the design of the bathroom is gorgeous they have these beautiful cutouts of where the bathtub is and it's just oof it's perfect So he walks into the bathroom. We see somebody behind the shower curtain. It's like kind of a clear shower curtain. And the music is kind of like slowly building at this point. And we see the shower curtain slowly pulled back. And we see like a beautiful young woman naked. And she stands up slowly. And Jack gets this like fucking creepy smile on his face. She slowly walks out of the bathtub and towards him and he again is like smiling and i'm thinking 
for all you know, this woman assaulted your son and you are moseying up to her like she's the cat's pajamas. She. He walks up to her beautiful naked figure and he puts an arm around her and they begin to kiss. As they're kissing, he opens his eyes and he sees her backside in the mirror and she is uh, much, she's probably a woman in her 80s and she's like, it looks like she's like rotting. Like her body has like like mold on it and and he like, is like, Ugh! and he lets her go and he looks at her and he, and it's this old like woman who's laughing at him and he starts to like back away, freaked out and like run out of the room. In the next scene, we see Dick trying to get a hold of the hotel, but the lines are down. Then we see uh, Wendy is in the is in their room and she's pacing around when Jack returns. He states that he didn't see one goddamn thing in that room. <laughs> the amount of times he says, "I have an extra damn. dick about this." I don't know why he had to do that. He didn't have to be so extra about it. But okay, Jack. It's just hmm. who he is. Um, she can't believe it. Wendy can't believe it. She says, well, someone had to do it. Jack says, I think he did it to himself. Gaslighting. Gaslighter. <laughs> Fuck you, Jack. I, why does he lie to her? This really bugs me. I don't know if it's because he's trying to protect the hotel and he doesn't want it known that there are Maleficent forces here because he doesn't want to have to leave it. Or if because he kissed the woman and he doesn't want that to get out. He could have just been, he could have just lied. Said, I didn't, there was a woman naked in the bathtub and I ran out of there. He could have He could have come up with all these different things. Or he could have just said there was an old lady laughing in the bathroom. And yeah, this place is spooky. But I, I don't know if it's because he doesn't want her to know that there's something wrong because then she'll want to leave. And maybe that's it. Um, I think it's maybe all of those things. It's probably mm. the fact that he doesn't want Wendy to know about the person. Uh, he thinks it'll spook her even more. Yeah. He doesn't even know what he believes. And they're all fucking losing it. Yeah. And Wendy says, no, that's not possible. Jack says, well, once you rule out his version, there is no explanation, is there? I do think Wendy has a lot of faith in her boy. I think that speaks volumes about her because, look... Yo, I broke my arm as a child and I told my mom, I said, I have broken my arm. My arm is broken. And she said, if you broke your arm, you'd be crying. You wouldn't be able to move it. We went to the hospital and they were like, have you ever had a broken arm? And I said, no. And they said, you do now. And my mom looked fucking shook. And I told her, I said, this arm is, believe me, why, why, why would I be lying right now? It's broken. And she didn't believe me for a second. And Danny fucking told her that there is a crazy lady in this hotel, which how would they have gotten in? It's fucking snowing outside. Nobody could have gotten into this hotel. And mm. she believed him point blank, believed him enough to grab a bat and go down and tell Jack to check it out and like could not conceive of another possible explanation for what has happened to him. She believed him 100%. And I'm, I think that's very nice. That mm. is not typical of a mom, maybe, or maybe just my maybe. mom. My broken <laughs> arm, but still, like she, she, a hundred percent was full, full tilt for his story. So I do love the fact that you said she went down uh, with a bat, but only to find Jack, and she was like, "Can you, uh, can you go check that out for yeah. me?" She didn't even give him the bat. 
he walked in there empty handed. She's so. like, I'm gonna safely go back up to the room, but if you could just uh check on that two three seven. Yeah. Um he does Jack does mention here too that it wouldn't be that different from the episode he had before we came up here, referring to the moment he passed out when he was in the mirror with Tony and he yeah. started to see the vision and we started to see the shining of it all. And you're like, wow. Yeah. Okay, we're going there. So he's really just like covering up all the tracks at all times. Yeah. Finally, we hear Wendy saying that I think we need to get Danny out of here. Jack going back and forth, get him out of here. You mean just leave the hotel? And Jack turns quickly. It's so fucking typical of you to create a problem like this when I finally have a chance to accomplish something. When I'm really in my work. And then, <clears throat> down with the hammer, he says, Wendy, I have let you fuck up my life so far, but I am not going to let you fuck this up. And that says everything. I, I think that that is one of the reasons that the hotel has targeted him. He has no purpose. Because he is weak. Yeah. He, he he's not happy. No he's no, not that's happy. Why he's, that's why he's drinking all the time and maybe he was, you know, pushed himself into this life that he never wanted first place yeah no he wants to be a single man making out with uh, moldy old ladies in bathtubs he does not want to have this child and this wife and this obligation he wants he's unhappy and you know and that is clear and dare i say maybe not far off from uh actual jack nicholson when he was younger you what? never know he was happy he was dating angelica houston yeah, we was dating Toots. a lot of I went in a very deep, deep, deep old dive into Jack Nicholson's life. I did after, too. Um, <laughs> Angelica Houston called her Toots. There's a big age gap. Mm. They were together for 17 motherfucking years. Mm -hmm. Got someone else pregnant. Yeah. Um, he was Again, so not likeable. far off from Mr. Torrance. <laughs> yeah, I did a deep dive. I was He's looking so at his political likeable. views, all of his legal issues. <laughs> his hobbies. And you know what? I did the same thing with motherfucking Stephen King. Let's talk about that mm. fucker real quick. Ooh, Problematic. Let's talk yeah. about Stanley. Yeah. All these people are, are fuckers. But you know what? They yeah. created a goddamn good movie. Masterpiece. It's beautiful. This, a masterpiece. Them, not a masterpiece. No. They're just a master piece of shit. <laughs> 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 god i had to get that in there all right well jack storms out of the room <laughs> ah, you're not wrong. i know i know it's gonna be a good episode when i can make you laugh so here we are you always make me laugh but you just that was a very accurate statement although i think jack nicholson is yeah i think he's cut above the rest about the rest but um jack storms out of the room of course because he's pissed um and he's walking through the halls again and starts pushing things over and suddenly hears ballroom music playing and sees balloons and streamers hanging in the hallway meanwhile dick gets a hold of the fire department and states that he is the head chef of the Overlook Hotel. He mentions that uh, the phone lines are down because of the snow that they've been having. And then Dick says, well, there's a family up there with a young kid. 
And with the storm and everything, I'd appreciate it if you give them a call on your radio just to see if everything is okay. And he says, yes, I'd be happy to, and to check in in 20 minutes. Then we go back to Jack in the halls. Uh, he makes his way to the gold room where an event is taking place. And it's a party, maybe 100 people are in the room. They're all in black tie, black suit and tie event, and they're smoking their cigs on the Like very stick. 1920s, like yeah. flapper-esque. It's sexy. Looks like a good time. Yeah. Um, Jack goes right up to the bar. Lloyd is there again. He says, good to see you, Lloyd. I was away, and now I'm back. And they exchange pleasantries. Good evening. It's good to see you, yada, yada, yada. He fixes Jack a drink. He takes out some bills. And Lloyd says, there's no charge. Orders from the house. And Jack says, orders from the house? I'm the kind of man that likes to know who's buying their drinks, Lloyd. And Lloyd then says, it's not a matter that concerns you, Mr. Torrance. At least not at this point. And Jack smiles and says, anything you say, Lloyd, and like takes the swig of his drink. Now, is this an interesting point for you? I thought it was interesting because of Jack's like quick turnaround. I, it, that, that was like alarming to me, red flagging to me that he was like, I'm the kind of man who needs to know. And when Lloyd's like, it doesn't, you know, blah, blah. He's like, okay. He, like I'm like, what? You just made this big whole fucking deal about you needing to know and you having questions. And then he says mm -hmm. something and he's like, all right, cool. <clears throat> Maybe that portion of it is a little bit of a pride thing of somebody like buying you a drink at a bar. Yeah. Right. And so you're like, well, I need to know who this came from, you know, yeah. because like they're trying to get my attention for whatever reason. Yeah. But I do think the exchange before with Lloyd and the second exchange too, a little bit different, but there, I did read something about like, was this the potential of exchanging your soul? Because mm. he did say right before he got the first drink from Lloyd, like, man, I'd sell my soul for a beer right now. Yeah. I never made that connection. That is a good point. I mean, I do think it's noteworthy to <laughs> point out that if it was alarming before that Jack didn't question that there was all of a sudden a bartender and some liquor, if he's not <laughs> if he's not questioning that there is a giant uh fucking great Gatsby party going on in the ballroom <laughs> right now. He he is so far past the point of no return. He ain't okay. He is gone. Yeah. So Jack uh, <clears throat> gets his drink and he's doing a little jig on the way to the middle of the room. And a waiter comes by carrying some drinks and accidentally runs into him and spills the drinks on his coat. Uh, the waiter suggests going into the bathroom to clean it up. And Jack says, uh, looks like you might have got a spot on it yourself, Jeevesy old boy. And he's kind of like the the banter between them is also seemingly like familiar in a way that he was suggesting before that like I've been through these halls before. I feel like I've already seen these things. Right. And they go into the bathroom. It is this stunning bright red bathroom. Beautiful. I want to have this bathroom. I want this bathroom it's, to be in my home. It, it, it's so vibrant. It's so vivid. I feel like it's the star of the scene. It's very cool. The, the shots that he creates are visually gorgeous. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, it is a statement for sure. Um, 
But I think what the fellers are going to get into is very <laughs> interesting as well. They walk into this bathroom and Jack asks, uh, hey, what do they call you around here? And he says, Grady, sir. Delbert Grady. And Jack is thinking, where do I know this from? And this is how sort of his demeanor plays out. He says, Delbert Grady, uh, weren't you the caretaker here? And then we all start to understand that this was, yeah, was the name of, of the last caretaker. Yeah. Um, who clearly we know killed his fucking wife and two kids. And so he says, why no, sir? I don't, I don't believe so. And then he says, are you a married man? He says, yes, I have a wife and two daughters. And Jack is going through thinking like, yeah, you're the same guy I'm thinking of. And Jack definitively says, Mr. Grady, you were the caretaker here. I recognize you. I saw your pictures in the newspaper. You chopped your wife and daughter into little bits, and then you blew your brains out. And Grady looks at him. And this is the first time that, like, he's not playing the waiter anymore. He's not saying, like, oh, you're more important than me, sir. Let's right. get this you know, thing off of you. And he's yeah. directly staring into his face and he says, that's strange. I don't have any recollection of any of that. A very polite response to somebody being like, didn't you kill your family? Yeah. I don't, I don't <laughs> think so. I don't recall all that. Hmm. No, doesn't sound familiar. Yeah, not something I would share either. Jack says, you were the caretaker here. And Grady says, I'm sorry to differ with you, but you are the caretaker. You've always been the caretaker. I should know, sir. I've always been here. Mm. So they sort of stare at each other. And uh, Grady says, did you know, Mr. Torrance, that your son is attempting to bring an outside party into this situation? Jack says, who? And he says the N-word, referring to Dick. Jack says, how? And Grady mentions that uh, Danny has a very great talent. One that I don't think you know how great it is, but he is attempting to use that very talent against your will. I mean, I do think, well, I love this scene. This is one of my favorite scenes just conversational scenes in the movie because I think the tension buildup is is brilliantly done. Just like the slow, methodic way that they're talking to one another. Mm -hmm. And like you're waiting with bated breath to see what, what the next one's going to say. And it's just, it's beautifully done. But I do think it's important because this is one of the few scenes where Danny's talent really is mentioned. In the book, mm -hmm. it is just like such a presence. It's so important. It's so described and the relation to his talent in the hotel and why the hotel wants to absorb him is so clearly stated. And in the movie, it's a lot more ambiguous and it's kind of mm. just this thing he has, and we're not really sure the Tony of it all. And it's never fully realized. And so I think the scene is important that he notes that it is a very important talent and that he's, you know, He's got this gift that nobody really talks about. And Tony is much more than just a finger. And a I, I wish this movie was named something different. I wish this was like Haunted Hotel. And it was a, like a totally different picture because I hate having to know what 
what what it was meant to be and what it actually is. Because if we didn't have that, if I didn't have that connection and this was just this wonderful, brilliant film by Kubrick, I wouldn't feel the way that I do. But because I know the little things that could have been done that would have made this even better, it's like, what? Yo, why don't we do that? Honestly, hear you talking about that. I'm glad I didn't read the book. And I'm glad you didn't. <laughs> and and a lot of people say that. And like I said, I, that one handedly in our little poll of what was, you know, what was favored. Mm-hmm. People love because the Because then book. it changes your expectation, maybe. Indeed. Um, the last lines of this, I mean, Jack really just says uh, he's a willful boy, but it's his mother. She interferes. And Grady then says, perhaps they need a good talking to. And he goes on to say, my girls didn't like the overlook at first, but I corrected them. And when my wife tried to correct me about it, I corrected her. Corrected her. her. A kind way of saying I killed people. I corrected them. Uh, Wendy is seen in the room, again, smoking a cigarette, talking to herself. Danny is heard in his Tony voice saying, Red Rum. Red Rum. Red Rum. Red Rum. It's it's so fucking jarring. Poor Wendy. Christ. (laughs) Christ. Well, you love this kid, and now's your time to take care of him. So he's in his bed, Red Rumming it, and (laughs) she says, Danny, are you having a bad dream? This is where it gets a little twisted. And he says, Danny's not here, Mrs. Torrance. It's really good. And she says, Come on, hun. Wake up. You just had a bad dream. Danny can't wake up, Mrs. Torrance. Danny's gone away, Mrs. Torrance. Honestly, poor Wendy. That's exactly what I wrote. This poor fucking woman. Her husband is gone insane. She thinks there's a woman in the hotel trying to kill her son. Her son has now gone insane. Tony has fully just taken over him. She has no ally. And she's already just this like weakened, fragile state of a human being. I'm like, oh, fucking. Oh, man. Jack is coming back from the uh, excursion that he went on. And he hears the fire marshal trying to get in touch with the hotel. He goes in. He takes the top off of the machine. And he takes out three parts so that they can't get in touch with them. Uh, Halloran calls the fire department back. And- And he mentions, oh, yeah, we tried to contact them multiple times. No one picked up. Maybe they have it turned off or they're in a place where they can't hear it. Title shot, 8 a.m. Halloran is on a flight back to Colorado. He's flying continental. And he is a saint. He is a saint. I know, I know, I know. I beat this dead horse. I would not do this. For a child that I have just met. Um, no, I wouldn't. I'd stay in Florida with my pornos. I, like, it. come on. <laughs> you, you just met this little boy. And I know that they have this shining 
connection and that's precious but it's like he knows that by going back there he is risking his life like he is full-on risking his life by trying to save this child and it's like yo you don't know him anything you just met him and even if he's trying to shine to you that don't mean nothing i i I, he is a beautiful man he is a very kind soul no way would i do that yeah i wouldn't i wouldn't be going back no way jose no way i would be like you know what i could be a i could be a top chef somewhere else head chef yeah Yeah. like yeah why would somebody with with that gift stay in a place like that where you know he's fielding off shit left and right it seems wild Hmm. i mean it was built on an indian burial ground Halloran lands in Colorado and he gets on the phone and calls his friend Larry, who works at Stapleton's garage, uh, which is close by the uh, mountain or the hotel. And Larry says that he'll have a snowcat ready for him. Wendy at 8 a.m. is watching cartoons in the room with Danny, who is still clearly Tony um, because he's (laughs) just (laughs) he's not. you know, being his normal self, wanting a fire truck or something. Yeah. She -hmm. tells Danny that she's going to go talk to daddy for a minute, okay? He does a little finger wave. He says... (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Mrs. Dorrance. Yes, Mrs. Dorrance. All right. So she'll be back in five minutes. She's going to go lock the door behind her, and she grabs the bat on the way out. She goes to the great room, but doesn't see anyone. She's really choked up on that bat. She doesn't know what could happen. <laughs> then she goes over to the typewriter, and written over and over again is the iconic phrase, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. And it's written all along the first paper, and she looks over, to see it written on pages and pages over and over again, multiple ways. And as she goes through them, her anxiety rises and music gets scarier. She's just like tearing through pages and pages and it's just written a zillion times. Her face is like a dream in this scene. The way that it's shot, like the unsteadiness and just the play of emotions on her face from like curiosity like she's finally gonna get a look at what he's doing to disbelief to fucking absolute horror that that he's that not only has he gone mad but how long he has been going mad and just the realization on her face is just so beautifully done she she did such a good job in this movie i hate that she was so torn apart and she got she got nominated for a razzie for this role and that is just absolute they retracted it. They took it back, mm-hmm. which they should have. She should what have gotten What the fuck is a Razzie? You don't know what a Razzie is? A Razzie no. is like the opposite of an Oscar. It's like a you, you're the worst <clears throat> award. And she got nominated for that, a Razzie. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Fucked up. Fucked up. Wow. Because when this movie came out, it wasn't the what it is now. Like it was not received in in the beloved way that it is has been received in years since which is so upsetting because they went through hell to shoot it but it was also upsetting because jack nicholson wasn't nominated for a razzie it was just shelly i'm like course. she gave her heart and soul her soul was on the floor of that 
<laughs> like sound stage. She gave everything. That was Seriously. Sad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, this next scene is maybe the most pivotal. So I'm going to try and do it justice as I much as possible. Will. So we pan to see Jack just appear behind her. He says, how do you like it? Which scares her. She screams. And he says, what are you doing down here? And she's lost in her words. I uh, just wanted to talk to you. And he says, okay, let's talk. What do you want to talk about? And she's fumbling. I can't really remember. The whole time, he is just repeating what she says back to him. He says, you can't remember. Maybe it was about Danny. I think we should discuss Danny. And at the same time, Wendy is taking steps away from Jack, crying. She's backing up through the room. Eventually gets to say, like, maybe he should be taken to a doctor. And Jack says, you think maybe he should be taken to a doctor? When do you think maybe he should be taken to a doctor? As soon as possible, Wendy says, and he's mocking her the whole time. The whole as time. soon as possible. <laughs> and he says, have you ever thought about my responsibilities? Have you ever thought for a single solitary moment about my responsibilities to my employers? Has it ever occurred to you that I have agreed to look after the Overlook Hotel until May the 1st? Does it matter to you at all? It's rough. (laughs) Wendy has been back to the stairs and is backing up them at this point. She's got the bat in her hand. And he continues, has it ever occurred to you what would happen to my future if I were to fail to live up to my responsibilities? Just over and over again. Has it ever occurred to you? Has it? At this point, she's staying like three feet away from him, swinging the bat. And then he turns into a little sort of like gremlin-esque scary I'm I'm like getting chills just thinking about the scene, but he's just the same time she's stay away. No, don't do it. Get away from me. And he's just like, I'm not going to hurt you. I'm just going to bash your brains in. I'm going to bash them right the fuck in. I'm like, ah. I mean, can you imagine like your significant other, even if they've got they've had their probbies. You know what I mean? Like, you've had an inkling <laughs> that <laughs> something is wrong here, but you haven't been certain and you haven't wanted to believe it. You come across these papers. Uh oh, he's insane. Only to be confronted with him immediately, for him to be menacing, and for him to chase you up the stairs and say, I'm, I'm going to kill you in a very disturbing, mean way. Like, all of this to happen in like a five minute time is 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 just like oh i feel terrible for her it's very sad and they did this was the scene i was talking about earlier where they did 127 takes of her going up these stairs with no no 127 times can you even i don't even think we as human beings can fathom having to do that it's a very short scene of him threatening her and her going up the stairs and and swinging a bat at him. To have to do that 127 times. That is a real horror movie. Yeah. That's a real That's horror torture. movie. The, 
the spot that we get to when she's swinging the bat and he's just like, like playing yeah. with her is so fucking good. I, I can't even like I see his face in my dreams. He's fucking mean. He is really he's, mean, but he's also very likable. Wild. I um, yeah, I don't he's know. Playful. It's playful. It's very playful. He's fun. You know. I'm gonna get you. It's very yeah. unpredictable. Mm-hmm. So he gets a little too close, and she hits him in the hand with the bat, and he says, "Ow!" And then she bops him on the head, Boop. and he tumbles backwards down the stairs. And then she ain't weak now. This motherfucker, strong as hell, dragged his ass all the way to the kitchen, and Love he's it. like. He's coming out of a stupor, got drool coming out of his mouth. She finally figures out the door to the pantry and pulls him in there. And he sort of comes to during and says, wait a minute, what are you doing? And she shuts the door and locks him in. Done. Wendy. This is where we're at. Yeah. He's screaming inside. What are you doing? Open the goddamn door. She's got her knife. And she's just sobbing and in distress. And then he tries to do a little let's make a deal moment. And he says, listen, let me out of here and I'll forget the whole damn thing. It'll be like nothing ever happened. He says, Wendy, baby, I think you hurt my head real bad. I'm dizzy. I need a doctor. So now he's trying to play all different angles. He's like, yeah. well, reasoning didn't work. So now I'm going to play like I'm Danny. And yeah. like, you really hurt me. I need a doctor, which is another fucking manipulation tactic. It's all fucking wild and all on point. And he says, honey, don't leave me in here. And she's like, I'm going to go now. And she finally says what she wanted to the whole time, but she couldn't because cat got her tongue before but she's saying the full-on thing because she knows she's in a little bit of a safe spot. And she says, I'm going to try and get Danny down to the Sidewinder in the Snowcat today. I'll bring back a doctor for you, and we'll figure it out. And he's just screaming, Wendy. Yeah. And then he says, Wendy, you've got a big surprise coming to you. You're not going anywhere. And he's laughing. Go check out the Snowcat. And the radio. You'll see what I mean. <laughs> Go check it out. <laughs> he just took away all hope, which mm. is another thing about horror movies that is phenomenal. When you take the crush, the hopes and dreams. Well, because so they she didn't runs show off. that. They showed him like fucking up the radio, but they don't show him fucking with the snow cat. And so we, in our minds, we thought she did have an out. No way. Mm-mm. Title card, 4 p.m. Jack is seen now sleeping in the stock room uh, when there is a knock at the door. So he thinks Wendy's at the door. But the voice says, it's Grady, Mr. Torrance. Delbert Grady. And they have a chit-chat. Grady says, Mr. Torrance, I see you've hardly taken care of the business we've discussed. And Jack steps back and he says, no need to rub it in, Mr. Grady. I'll deal with that situation as soon as I get out of here. And Mr. Grady doesn't believe him, which is why he's trying to test Jack in this moment to say, like, are you really going to do what we talked about? 
Yeah. A little reverse psychology. Jack is very adamant. He says, just give me one more chance to prove it. That's all I ask. Grady says, your wife appears to be stronger than we imagined, Mr. Torrance. Somewhat resourceful. Hmm. She seems to have gotten the better of you. And then Grady suggests, I fear you're going to have to deal with this matter in the harshest possible way. And Jack says, there's nothing I look forward to with greater pleasure. And then they they say, like, I got your word on that. And then suddenly the lock gets unlatched and the door opens. I don't like this. This might be something we need to talk about. I feel like this is just a cop out. The ghosts are releasing him from the freezer. I don't I don't like this. I feel like this is too easy. And I feel like that wouldn't happen. I mean, <clears throat> I didn't know that was possible until this moment right here. Yeah. I do love the fact that Grady says that your your wife appears to be stronger than we had originally thought and that she's resourceful, which is like from here to the end of the movie, I'm like resourceful. Uh, cut back to Danny in the room saying red rum again and again, multiple times. It's so jarring. Red rum, red rum. Like, yo, yo, relax. Rel- we get it. We get it. Yeah. Fuck off. God. Wendy's, a- Wendy's asleep in the room because she's like, finally, I can figure some shit out. She's like, f- has maybe felt the only ounce of safety at this point because now that Jack she knows away. that. I-, I still think yeah. it's fucking wild that she has fallen asleep. That's fucking nuts. <laughs> I barely <laughs> fell mentioned- asleep after watching the movie. And she, come on. Things are still so uncertain. And and she's yeah. just you know. Um Danny takes the knife from Wendy's nightstand and go, then goes over to the vanity and grabs lipstick all while saying red rum the entire time. Um and then he writes it on the bathroom door. And then he starts screaming it. Red rum, red rum, red rum. And she wakes up, she finally wakes up and holds him. Um but as she, like, consoles him, she sees the reflection in the door. Red rum spells murder backwards. Ding! Then, Uh-oh. in that same moment, close-up shot of Wendy and then thuds on the door outside. Jack has been set free and has an axe that he's wielding, and he's trying to get into their room because it's locked. Wendy grabs the knife and Danny and scoots her ass into the bathroom (laughs) and locks the door. She puts the knife in the sink and opens the bathroom window. She opens it to find that the snow on the side has risen at least two floors. Beyond. And it's just like, this is like kind of, it's like a little hill. Yeah, it it is. It is a little hill that, that. Yeah. I don't believe that, but whatever. I'm glad it works for their story, but come on. Well, because they created all these sets and such, none of this was actually snow. Yeah. It was all salt. Like salt? salt? Like 900 tons of salt they used for this damn film. I did not know something, something crazy. It's wild. Yeah. So Jack breaks through the first door and he calls inside and says, Wendy, I'm home. <laughs> Love it. She gets the window open enough to get Danny's little ass out the window. <laughs> and he slides down the mound like he's on a sled. Yeah, like it's nothing. 
But of course, she can't get out herself because she's too big. So Jack enters the room and he says, come out, come out, wherever you are. And he checks the bathroom door and it's locked and he knocks. And she whispers out to Danny like, I can't get out. Run, run and hide. Yeah. Run and hide. And then he says, little pigs, little pigs, let me come in. Not by the hair on your chinny chin chin. And I'll huff and I'll puff and I'll blow your house in. He swings the axe at the door. Wendy is screaming inside. Every axe strike she responds to. Mm. And she is waiting on the side of the door with the knife because she has no other protection. And the shot is just the axe coming at her face with it standing back. And yeah. it's wonderful. Mm-hmm. And a lot of memes oh, of this. Of course. Yeah. A ton. And he cracks through enough of the door where he can fit his face inside. And he <laughs> says, here's Johnny. Psh, amazing line. Amazing. Amazing line. Improvised. Which, improvised. And it's a Johnny Carson line, right? Yeah, yeah, that's what Johnny Carson would open his shows with. And it's funny because he improvised that and Stanley Kubrick didn't get it because Stanley Kubrick lived in England and he didn't watch the Johnny Carson show and it nearly didn't make the cut. Mm -hmm. But, And I don't know why he decided to keep – I'm so grateful he did. It's one of the funniest lines in not even just horror history. Like in all of movie history, it's so silly because it's Mm -hmm. such a serious moment and he's such a dick. that but oh, wonderful it's very on par with him losing his mind yeah so he breaks through and he reaches his hand in to open the door by the doorknob and she slices his hand with the knife fuck yes wendy he he does a bit of a major overreaction on this oh it's a cut like it was nothing wimp uh majorly <laughs> So Halloran finally reaches the hotel and Wendy hears it outside, which is another sound of hope for her. But Jack also hears it. Halloran reaches the front door, which is ajar, and he just walks in as Jack is like limping through the hallways with the axe. When we hear Dick saying, hello, is anyone here? Hello. He walks down the hallway The anticipation is growing because we know Jack's fucking lurking around with his axe. (laughs) This poor man is trying to find Danny and help whoever he can. And he's walking down this hallway and there's a lot of space on either side of him. So it's a setup for like, where the fuck's Jack? When's he coming out? What's happening? And you can really only hear like the wind blowing outside. He gets to the end and Jack pops out from behind a pillar and axes him through the chest. Just like. I do not like this scene. I do not like this scene because this scene was not necessary. Mr. Halloran did not have to die. Uh, In the book, he don't. In the book, he survives. And he is the fundamental reason that Wendy and Danny make it out. He's vital. And he's vital in the sequel. And I don't know why they killed him. I like I, I I really wrestle with this. Every other decision that Kubrick made, I can kind of uh, justify. This is like mm. there were there was no reason to kill this dude. 
There was no reason. He could have pulled up in in the fucking snow cat as Danny was outside. Like he there was a lot of different ways they could have played this. And I feel like his death was just like a throwaway. Like it just like a, oh, oh God, what do we do with his character now? Okay, let's kill him. I don't like it. And I don't think that was probably the case because Kubrick is such a detail-oriented person. I'm sure there is a reason for this dude's death. Yeah. I don't know what it is. And I don't think it is. I well, I could say what I think now. I think that maybe he dies because we need to see Wendy finally be the hero, be the strong person, be the resourceful one. I think she needs to come out of the arc in the best way possible, which is maybe why Kubrick, at least I would hope, the fact that he put her through fucking absolute misery. It took like a year to film this, right? Yeah. And I think seeing her at the end being that strong motherly figure and getting them out of the situation they were in is supposed to happen. So maybe he needed to die so that it wasn't, you know, like, Oh, I'm still helpless. And like somebody saved me instead of me saving myself. Really? I think it's also done to say that Jack is at the point where he will actually do this. Like we need to see him killing someone to know that it is believable. Mm. That's a to good say, point. Like, he, that is a good point. He really point. could like, go he has to that crossed over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he hasn't killed anybody yet. We've <clears> kind <throat> of seen him cross over to the dark side, but we he could come back. And once he crosses over and he kills him, it's like, okay, he's fucked. It's over. Go bye. Mm-hmm. Like he's never coming back. He is he is crossed to the dark side of the hotel and he will not return. Very good point. Uh, yeah. I, I still don't agree. With his decision, I think he could have kept him. Easy peasy, lemon squeezy, but it's fine. It's fine. Kill him brutally after he crossed the country to save this fucking kid that he met once. R.I.P. Dick. Mm -hmm. Um, He goes down to the ground. Danny screams because he can see it and sense it. Jack hears him. And he says, Danny, Danny boy. Danny gets out of his hiding spot and Jack chases after him. Wendy is finally out going through the hotel with the knife in hand and she's quietly trying to find Danny. She gets up to a floor with an open door and sees a man dressed in a bear suit blowing a hotel guest. And I had to figure out what the scene actually meant. So let me just say this because it says the Shining's bear man has extremely disturbing implications. Kubrick's films are known for foreshadowing as well as leaving behind clues that all signify some kind of deeper meaning, usually tethered to psychological conditions or theory. The shining bear scene is no different, and if Rob Eggers' theory is correct, could explain the much darker nature of the relationship between Danny Torrance and his father, Jack. I read that, and I don't like that theory very much. I I really do think it was just a way of Kubrick being extra ambiguous and adding like um, Easter eggs throughout the movie that kind of call back to the novel, but they're not fully understood because you don't have the novel's context. Like the woman in the bathtub scene, 217 or 237 in the movie, and the reason that room is so spooky is because an older woman killed herself in that room. She seduced young boys and brought them into that hotel room and and she felt Mm. guilty about it she ends up killing herself and that's her whole storyline and 
And so, again, Kubrick touches on that. We see an older woman. We see her laughing. We see her seducing Mm -hmm. a young Jack Nicholson, but we don't know any of the context about it. But, like, if you've read the novel, you get the connection. If you haven't read the novel, it's still okay. You still understand that it's, like, a spooky scene, and it's fine. Mm -hmm. But... I don't I don't like to believe that it has something yeah. to do with Jack somehow abusing Danny. Like I think that is just such a reach. And also I don't want to believe it. But I did read that <laughs> as a theory. I I read that as a theory and I didn't like it and I rejected it. I mean you you can say a bunch of different things about this because so much is left sort of to the imagination. There's no real explanation for this uh, specific scene, but Wendy freaks out and runs away. Then Jack is seen chasing Danny and finds himself outside, and Jack spots him and chases him into the maze. I love the fact that when Danny is in the maze, they're using the steady cam the same way that they used when he was on the bike in yeah. the hallways, and so it's just right behind him, and he's going through the maze, which is all uh, snow-covered at this point and so it looks very different from before and there continues to be like more shots of danny running through through the maze looking back and falling occasionally i thought like does he know which way he's going from when he went with his mom that's what i was thinking i thought he went into that maze because he knew it so well because he had gone through it so many times with uh wendy and he's very smart in this maze. He makes some real smart decisions. Some real smart decisions. And I, it was at this point, too, where I was just like, Wendy being resourceful, maybe yeah. showing him the way of the maze. Like, I wanted to believe that yeah. for the context that we're sure. in. And um, Jack just has to trace the little kid's footprints. And he's just right behind him saying, Danny, I'm coming, Dan. Yeah. Wendy now makes it to the kitchen and then up to the hallway where she sees uh, Hal and Ann dead on the floor. And she screams. And she turns in another direction and sees another guest with a cut down his face and, like, cracked skull almost. Yeah. Um, with blood coming down his his face. And he says, great party, isn't it? And raises his glass. It's wild. Isn't it wild? <laughs> now, this is like, this is Wendy starting to see everything that everyone else has been seeing. Well, and this is also an indication that maybe Jack isn't just going fully insane and seeing shit that's not there. Like, she's also seeing that the hotel has come alive and it's real. Like, we couldn't fully trust Danny because he he has a special ability. And so maybe him seeing the twins doesn't mean that the hotel is haunted. Maybe he can just see things that nobody else can. Maybe Jack is just fucking insane. And so when Wendy sees this shit, you're like, all right, this place is fucked. Like, they're in trouble. (laughs) Like, if Wendy's seen it, it's not just these two kooks, you know? Yeah. Wendy makes it to another room where it's cold and dark and cobwebs are everywhere. It's the big great room, I think. Mm -hmm. And there are just skeletons sitting in the chairs. Then we get a deeper view of the camera behind Jack as he's going through the maze and Danny retracing his steps so that he can't follow him smart boy so smart yeah he walks back 
into his footprints and then he goes in a different direction and sort of brushes it over so that it doesn't look like he stepped there. Wendy gets the infamous elevator door hall and sees what Danny sees now. Blood rushing in and then cut right back to Jack getting to the last remaining footsteps while Danny is seen hiding behind a hedge. And Danny sees Jack go off in another direction. So he has diverted his attention elsewhere and then he starts sprinting to where his footsteps were from the beginning like the trail of breadcrumbs yeah so good yeah like hope is alive again (laughs) um jack continues to get deeper and deeper and ultimately can't find his way back to the beginning he starts slowing down you see his pace start to fade his um aggravation his uh his hope getting lost right Wendy sort of finally makes it outside to hopefully find Danny and Danny gets out of the maze. They get in the snowcat and start getting out of there as Jack starts yelling sort of like incoherently like, uh, he's got the ax. Uh. He's fucked. He's fucked. He's fucked. Mm. He sits down in the maze and like in the blink of the shot, morning comes and his face, he's just frozen outside. Like cockeyed. In place. He's like, it's its very demeaning for him. It's like it's very perfect. embarrassing for him in this moment. It's wild. Mm. And also, he's dead. Yeah. He dead. He gone. Um, the final scenes take us through the hotel one last time. Uh, with ballroom music elegantly playing and we get to all the like pictures on the wall of the hotel and it zooms in on the middle picture of everyone celebrating at a party and it's this big group shot it's a suit and tie event and we see jack and he is dead center in the middle looking his absolute best young sprightly and they zoom in further and further into this picture and you see him one last time with his creepy smile and he's the head he's the front of the party like he is the host of this big old group and it's so interesting to see him in this photograph and then it slowly goes down and under him it says Overlook Hotel July 4th Ball 1921 and then it fades to black what did it all mean, Basil? I didn't really like that um I kind of le- I, I kind of <laughs> wish they would have left him like cockeyed in the snow uh because this has added like a level of ambiguousness that Mr. Kubrick so loves I I read a few different theories uh, and like the, the major one was that the caretakers at the overlook are so interconnected that that is like one entity that they become one. Mm -hmm. And so he has been there since the beginning. And that's why um, when Delbert Grady says like, you've always been the caretaker, like they meld into each other and like it, it, they become one with the hotel and they're just like one entity. And so that was the big theory. I don't really like it. I don't like that theory. And I don't think it holds water, but 
I don't know. What do you think? I love the ending. I like <laughs> a lot. I like any and all renditions, whatever you want to say, I'll probably entertain it. Mm. I'll be like, oh, because it's so it could go, it could be anything. Yeah. Kind of exciting. It it added a, just another little like Easter egg layer of like, what could that mean? Which is a lot of the movie. A lot of the movie is left to your imagination of, of how it be. And again, if you've read the novel, you have something to kind of connect it to to be like, well, maybe it means this. But maybe it fucking doesn't mean that because Kubrick took this and he ran with it. And it, it became something so different than what Stephen King wrote. And I do think Stephen King was a bit of a naive little baby when he handed this over to Kubrick to he gave him the rights to the movie. And I, I don't know if he just thought, well, of course, he'll do it the way I wrote it. And which fucking no, of course not. Of course not. Of course, he's going to take it and do something, you know, fully different with it. And maybe Stephen King had just been so um, spoiled in the past that Honestly, maybe he had because most of the films I've watched that are renditions of King's work are very faithful to the novel. Like It, Christine, Carrie. Maybe they're not exact renditions, but if they're not exact renditions, like they are so closely tied and it's like really minuscule details that differ. Because this is the only one I can think of that, that Stephen King has been super vocal about hating. About fucking, he hates this movie so deeply. Everything about it, the actors he chose, the 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 way the actors portrayed the roles, the things he added to it, like, and I think a lot of things he added to it really made the movie. the The scene where Shelley Duvall, you know, finds the all work and no play make Jack a doll yeah. boy. That was not in the novel at all. That was nowhere, and that is a pivotal scene where she realizes he's it's fucking crazy. And and the Gratians, there's a lot of things Kubrick saw in the novel that he exemplified that that King didn't, and and they really made a big difference on the big screen. And so I I really love the changes. I don't mind it. A lot of people don't dig it, and uh, you get the the joy of never reading the book, so you don't know what you're missing. Yes, you're free. Yes, yes. <laughs> Good for you, buddy. Good for you. You know? Good for me. Um, here's the literally scary is we rank our movies based on how many stoli dolies it would take you to enjoy the film. And I will say, um I say one. I say one stoli doli because some of it can be anxiety inducing especially the stuff with Shelley Duvall she is just she is so motherfucking stressed and it makes you stressed and so i would say one solely dolly made me really enjoy the film appreciate the film kind of find the little things that i maybe wouldn't have felt because i was so focused on my anxiety due to Shelley Duvall i feel like it was just masterful i think it is just technically one of the most perfect films ever created Kubrick was brilliant he's little shit and I think he uh, caused a lot of pain in his uh, his quest for greatness which is fine a lot of people do but I, I think one solidly is, is what I rake Johnny what do you say 
Um, I'm gonna give it <gasps> a zero. Whoa! A zero. You see that eye? Just like Jack Torrance in his five month sobriety. Zero stoli dolies. I'm shook. For me, I can't believe it. Love this. I loved it. I re again. I rewatched it for the first time in a zillion years. It's long, but every minute I was like, something is happening. I'm either looking at the detail of the shot that is being captured. Um, I'm looking at the acting of these phenomenal people. I'm looking at the story. I'm listening to the story. I'm watching yeah. it all play out. I'm. It's suspenseful. I was just like, I couldn't wait to get to the next minute. I loved uh, even the ending. I love the fact that we can talk about so many different avenues or things that may have transpired. I'm so glad I did not read the book. It could have changed my perception. Yeah, maybe I will read the book and maybe I might have a different opinion. I would be so curious to, to see what you'd think if you read the book. You know? Hmm. Well, I'll do that and I'll tell you what I think. I can't wait. Just for you. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, everybody, thank you so much for joining us. We love talking to you. If you enjoy hearing us, please like, please subscribe, please comment. We really do appreciate it. Until then, don't stay in room 237. Ooh.